You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 8, covering The Menagerie, Part 2, and The Conscience of the King. Hello, friends. We're back. We're yep. here to review some more stuff for you. Or Lucky people. In fact, the same stuff. Um, uh, in one case, the same stuff we've done two times before. Yeah. Um, this week we had to cover The Menagerie Part 2. Uh, but then there's another new episode for us, which, mm-hmm. is, which is good. Um, Conscience of the King. Yep. Unfortunately, we, we kind of flipped a coin and, and Matt got stuck with reviewing the non-events of the Menagerie Part 1, so the Menagerie Part 2 is mine. Yeah. And I chose poorly because, um, or I guess my coin chose poorly, because even less happens in this one. Like, at least there was some good frame story in your part. Mm-hmm. And then it's just, this one is just like, well, here's the cage, and they watched it. Well, a Star Trek episode is, is 50 minutes long without commercials. Incidentally, in the late 60s, a show, an hour-long show, was actually still 50 minutes long. You can imagine. Now... When you get a DVD of a of a, an hour long show, it's what less than forty five minutes, like forty yeah. minutes, something like that. Forty minutes now, I think. Yeah, forty four so tops. So that's that's ten more minutes of commercials that we're getting now. And I you know, I don't want to go on a whole rant about TV, blah blah blah. But you know that tells you something about TV in the last forty years. Now I don't want to get off on get off on a rant here, but <laughs> all right, uh, of course that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, the, the, the 50 minutes of the Menagerie Part 2, 45 of them, n- not kidding, are the cage. And five of them are the, wrapping up the, the frame story. Uh. But that said, you know, we committed to this, we're going to do it. And it's not the show's fault, because like we said before, you know, they were trying to recycle some cool footage that people weren't going to see otherwise. So mm-hmm. this is just our fault for, for scheduling it this way. So let's get into it. Uh, how do you summarize events you've seen four times in the past month and already reviewed once on this still, still fairly young podcast? Look, there's Talos 4. There's Captain Pike and the veiny-headed Talosians. There's the blonde brunette redhead conundrum. Green Orion slave girl. Possibly things that don't involve me drooling over women who are now old enough to be my grandmother. Uh, the framing story in this one's not as elaborate as part one, so there's not much new to report here, people. Once we've squeezed every remaining drop of decent footage out of the cage, we zoom back out to the courtroom to reveal that Commodore What's-His-Name was just an illusion, Michael. And all the Talosians were conspiring with Spock to bring the broken Pike someplace where he can imagine himself a better life than being trapped in a Zamboni for eternity. Thankfully, Starfleet Command decides that Pike's happiness is worth overriding the whole Talos 4 death penalty thing, so everything works out okay for everyone. And we get an early example of one of Star Trek's recurring themes. No matter how many rules you break, no matter how many lives you threaten, the ends justify the means. Every time. So many Starfleet captains have gotten away with stuff thanks to that rule. And not just captains. Nope. I mean, in this case, it was Spock. It was yep. Spock broke every, you know, every, like, the worst rules that there were on the books. And in the end, it's like, oh, well, you did it for Captain Pike. Well, that's fine. Well, I mean, we do like Captain Pike. Well, sure. He was, you know, he was the great hero before uh, Kirk mm-hmm. came along. But still, well, you know. And everyone just was, was glad that they didn't have to be all awkward around him anymore. <laughs> This whole beep thing, really, uh, man. It, it, listen, can, we we all love Captain Pike, but 
This is hard. I mean, yeah, we gave him we gave him an easy job on a space station. We didn't take him off the books because we all felt really bad about it. Look, this is this is the future, and all these jobs are technological and difficult, and lots of like dealing with weird aliens. Do you know how few jobs there are for someone important that where all you have to do is say yes or no? We made him an ambassador, which was probably the worst decision we could possibly have made. Yeah, the, in, in the world of diplomacy, you really need a greater vocabulary than beep and beep beep. <laughs> but, you know, they, they tried. They did their best. And finally, you know what? Let's dump him on this planet and then presumably reinstate the death penalty. And then, you know, there we go. No one ever has to talk to him again. No one go to Talos 4. We don't want anyone bothering him. What if he comes back? Or we'll kill you. <laughs> the end. No, but it that's was why, that's why it was renamed Pike's Law. <laughs> it wasn't. I mean, I'm I'm assuming at some point that that the uh, expanded universe must have followed up on, you know, uh, mangled Pike and mangled Vina living out their uh, their elaborate fantasy life. But uh, I kind of hope they didn't. I'm quite happy with the idea of them just living there alone forever. Well, I agree with that. Um, you know, oh, we're gonna see how Pike's doing. Up, oh, still crippled. Good, awesome. We won't come back. Still thinks he's okay. Even better. <laughs> He's not suffering, so uh, good for him. Um, I, I do like, like, yeah, like we've said, they did, you know, recycle the footage, and that was the point of it. Mm -hmm. um, but they managed the, the very end of, of the cage originally was uh, Vina imagining herself young and pretty, uh, sort of uh, uh, traipsing off with, you know, Pike, who she imagined stayed. Oh, yes, the imagined Pike. But they, they repurposed that, and they used it in a new way so that it's now Pike imagining himself not in the wheelchair, mm. you know, uh, cavorting off with, with Vina. And it, it adds, it actually made it more poignant and more like a happy ending. Instead yeah. of this woman is deluding herself. Now this couple is deluding themselves. That's uh, somehow that's sweeter. And the couple that deludes themselves together stays together. <laughs> it doesn't rhyme, but it's every bit is true. Yeah. Um, watching Beautiful. it again, <laughs> watching it again gave us at least the opportunity to sort of reconsider a few things that we've, uh, Mm. Well, you know, from from the previous viewing, I for some reason the the his um ridiculous purple cape <laughs> didn't jump out as me as much as it really did. stood out this time around. Yeah, I, I was paying attention to some other stuff. You know, well, I mean, that's the scene with the green Orion slave girl. Come yeah. on. I mean, you know, look, I try not to be a lech. I try not to, to drool too much over the hot sixties looking girls, but green Orion slave girl, come on. So Pike, it, it is Ming the Merciless cape. Yeah, I'm thinking about. And and as we're seeing this play out on the screen, they cut back and and Pike is uh, a bit embarrassed that they're watching this because it's mm -hmm. it, it is not a thing that happened to him. This is his imagined fantasy <laughs> that everyone is now watching. It's like really, Chris, uh, a purple cape, huh? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he was more. Beep. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was more ashamed of that than the fact that he imagined Vina as a Orion slave girl. Yeah. Um, Spock, is it really necessary that we watch all of this? Oh, very much so, sir. Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, are you okay with this? With, with this, Christopher? Beep, beep. He's fine. <laughs> there's a bit where they they see the green Orion slave girl, and Kirk is like, uh, is, "Is that Vina?" And there's this really like again Pike doing the beep acting, <laughs> but there's a really long beep, like, "Oh yes." <laughs> Like, oh, all right, we get it. But I mean, you know, really for, for such a such a flimsy effect, that was actually kind of funny. Yeah. Um, a couple other things I noticed. Uh, there's that Tinkerbell sounding her chimes sound when the doors oh, open. Oh, yeah. I never noticed that the first time around. I did. The, the sound effects were a lot more like 50s, a lot <clears throat> more like Forbidden Planet-y kind of, mm. you know, and a lot of them were better. I like the music better, a lot more theremin in it. Yep. 
but overall, just uh, Star Trek always needed more theremin. I, all science fiction needs more theremin. That's yep. that's what modern sci-fi is missing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. More theremin, um, and cowbell apparently, or not. <laughs> we'll say that uh, theremin is the cowbell of of science fiction, and leave it. Gotta have more theremin. Now, one thing I, I started thinking out the the Talosian's, um logic behind uh, humans breeding stock, and it's like mm. you know you got a ship full of. However many people the captain says in his speech. Mm-hmm. He's what are we up to this week? Power. 438? Well, this was the original pilot. I think it was less than that. All right. I think he says to his old man doctor, like, I'm responsible <laughs> for the lives of 200 Eight people. people. Yeah. Everyone you can see on the screen. And that's it. <laughs> um, number one counts as two because she's awesome. <laughs> um, I, no, I, but I mean, you got a couple of hundred people on there. That's Surely that's better breeding stock than, you know, Pike plus one. Yep. I, I mean, you know, your next, your second generation's already going to be inbred, and uh, you know, it's like the Adam and Eve thing. Like, well, do they have wives, or do they? What happened there? Listen, it all worked out fine okay. because it's the Bible. Very well. Um, other than that, I mean, you know, like I say, bit, bit, uh, bit padded, but it's not the show's fault. I think the only other line that jumped out for me was uh, when they were talking about how Pike was like suffering and less than a man, and uh, but but he can you know he can see he can taste and he can suffer. <laughs> Apparently, those are the three human all, senses. All the senses: seeing, tasting, the eyes, the tongue, and the suffer gland. <laughs> Look, bones can show you the charts. Okay. <laughs> I mean, oh, you're saying that humans don't have a suffer gland, huh? Well, what do you call this? That's the heart bones. <laughs> oh, so, so it is. I'll be wow, I'm I'm not very good at this. <laughs> no, he's not I guess I'm not a doctor. <laughs> He's not Dr. Zoidberg, you know. He does know his way around a body, one hopes. Dax did say he had the hands of a surgeon, but that'll come later. Uh, the only other notable thing for me was um, Uhura actually had a nice speech at the Ooh, end. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's a speech that she read from Starfleet Command from off screen, but she had like a whole paragraph of lines that weren't just hailing frequencies open. So, Captain Starfleet Command called to tell us that everything's okay. We can all come home. Yay! Yeah, that, I mean, you know, it went on a little longer, but it's like, good, Michelle Nichols got to read some lines. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if they could actually be character lines instead of, you know, reading a memo. And, and of course, she wasn't on screen when no, it happened. No, no, they wasted their budget on everything else. Yes. You know. They still. wasted their budget bringing uh, Pike's cape out of retirement. <laughs> But but in any case, I mean, you know that that was nice. You got to give it credit where you can, and there's really very little meat in these gym mats, so we have mm. to uh, we have to give credit where it's due. Yes, and thankfully for the re- for the remainder of this, we don't have to watch the cage again. I mean, no. one of my all time favorite episodes. I do love it greatly, but you know, even if we were professional comedians, which we're not, how <laughs> much material can you get out of the same? Like you know, how many times can you riff the same hour of stuff? Yeah. So we're done. Moving moving forward now. We will never see the cage again. Well. Well. Probably not. For a while, anyway. Yeah. Unless Until they, we forget. Unless, like, uh, the, the, the second uh, movie <laughs> reprises those. Uh, oh, those God. Can you imagine? Reason. Yeah, I can, actually. <laughs> but, I mean, like, they're using footage from the episode. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> They just inserted Bruce Greenwood in instead of uh, yeah. It's like Jeffrey it's basically a, it's basically a remake of the Menagerie, but they use the the footage from from the cage. <laughs> All right, moving forward, Christopher. Why do you look Why do you look like this? The accident drastically changed me. <laughs> 
also also fun. Um, every time he came on screen, we liked going, "Hi, Christopher. I'm whoever character it was." <laughs> All right, moving forward. Conscience. All right, conscience of the king. So the Enterprise is diverted off course to the aptly named Planet Q to pick up new fuel or see some skydiving grandmas or something. Anyway, it doesn't matter because it's actually an intricate lie by Kirk's childhood friend Thomas Layton. Layton and Kirk were both part of the massacre of the Earth colony of Tarsus IV by the aptly named Kodos the Executioner. Layton, who is now sporting a ridiculously large eye patch, suspects traveling Shakespearean actor Anton Caridian of, be- of being that very Kodos. Kirk doesn't buy it, but he's willing to take his friend at his word. Also, he really wants to bone Caridian's sister so, or Caridian's daughter, excuse me, so badly. So he uses his captainness to strand the actors on the planet and then offers them a lift to their next destination. Spock, worried about Kirk, does some research of his own and discovers that not, of the nine people who could identify Kodos, only two of them are still alive. Kirk and the pride of Ireland, our old friend Kevin Riley. Excuse me, I think you'll find it's Kevin Thomas Riley. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> anyway. Kevin Thomas O'Reilly. <laughs> Kirk, puts, Kirk puts Riley on shit detail because he has, still hasn't gotten over the whole singing thing. And also to keep him safe, I guess. But that doesn't work at all when a mysterious gloved assailant poisons Riley's milk. Next, someone tries to kill Kirk by exploding a phaser in his office. Kirk confronts Caridian, but Caridian is all evasive and mysterious and not terribly helpful if it turns out that he's actually not Kodos. Riley, whom apparently nothing can kill, discovers that Kodos may still be alive on the ship and goes off to kill him. During a performance of Hamlet for the crew, Riley tries to kill Caridian, but Kirk talks him out of it. Then Caridian's hot daughter freaks the fuck out and reveals that she's been killing people to keep her father safe. She tries to kill Kirk, but Caridian, who is in, who is in fact Kodos, by the way, gets in the way and we all gather around for the most Shakespearean death ever. Then, Caridian, then Caridian's daughter goes completely bu- bug nuts, lip strummingly insane. <laughs> Now, usually I don't like to point out the fact that, yes, we do uh, write these summaries ahead of time just so we can, you know, have some of our better material here. And uh, a <laughs> little, little drawing back the curtain here, but uh, your, your original text, I'm glad you corrected it in your read here. <laughs> I just you, noticed you that. Say, also, now. he wants to bone Caridian so bad. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, is he going to say that he wants to bone Kodos the Executioner? Or is he going to well, realize his I'm- mistake in time? Well, I'm not going to change it. Let's see what he does. <laughs> no, I only spotted it as we were going through here. <laughs> if I'd spotted it before, I would have fixed it for you. <laughs> oh, look, the other show is where we throw each other under the bus. This, this show, we try to keep a little, you know, on the level. <laughs> it was like, uh-oh. <laughs> Hope we can oh. that. Yeah, this, uh, when I when I was putting together the, the you know, the little Photoshop covers that I do, and I'm, I'm hardly an artist, but I, I do enjoy just like uh, sort of like a color forms throwing together elements of two episodes. Um, looking at Kodos the Executioner slash Caridian, I, I said to Matt, if that guy doesn't say something like, oh, the pain, <laughs> then I miss my guess entirely because look at him. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, I was completely correct. Yes, we, you were not wrong in that estimation. He looks like a scenery chewer, and oh boy, yeah. was he. He also really looks like Count Dooku from Star Wars. He did, especially with, I mean, he had the, the cool beard and the old yep. man, like, uh, you know, sort of thin and gaunt, but not, like, withered away, and, and like, the, the costuming, and you're absolutely right. In a cool way. I mean, Count Dooku, yep. regardless of your opinions of the Star Wars prequels, you know, he did look cool. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. Christopher Lee looks awesome. Yeah. And we all love Christopher Lee. Exactly. Oh, uh, since we're talking about Kodos, we better, you know, get yeah. those jokes out of the way. <clears throat> Don't blame me, Marge. I voted for Kodos. So far. what happened to us, Kodos? Quiet, you. And, and so All right. 
No, I and, and Matt actually, I, I don't blame you if you hadn't seen this episode before. Thought that Kodos was a was a Klingon. I did because uh, on the Simpsons, those those three bug eyed alien guys. Um, it's Kang, Kodos, and who's Sarek the, the preparer? So I mean, you no, know. no, no. It's the um, Kang, Kodos, and Koloth. I think. Oh yeah, that's right. And they're all because uh, uh, James Earl Jones did one, but he only did it like once. Yeah, he he was Sarek the preparer. The other two, wait, no, he was Koloth. Well, he might have been Koloth later, but in the first in the first Halloween episode, he was Sarek the preparer ah, very because well. they made him cry. Ah, well, they in, in any case, they stole the other two aliens were named after uh, Klingons, and so mm. the, the automatic assumption is that sounds like a Klingon name, but nope, it really does. Nope, this guy is just some other guy. I would not be surprised if there was a there was a Klingon later named Kodos. Probably. Um, but yeah, not not a great. Episode, I, I would say uh, it, it does got, begin Star Trek's long love affair for no apparent reason with with Shakespeare. Yes, and I, which not, sucks when some of us don't have a like of hate of Shakespeare at all. Really, at all? I didn't know that. Yep. Well, and and you know we are not the kind like on our other show or on this show we're really not into you know berating each other openly about well, why don't you like this thing? It's great. That, that's boring. Yeah. I mean, I might think that. But you guys don't need to hear that. No, I'm like, believe me, I think it, I write it out over and over again in hate-filled scribe. <laughs> no, no, no. It's 500 years old. It's not entirely accessible to everyone. And I don't like all of it, but, you know, some of the classic stories have made decent movies. But, um, no, I can, I can completely see that. Mm. Um, but, but Star Trek does, for some reason, love to be, like, intertwined with everything Shakespeare. I mean, through... Yeah. Through the original series, through Next Gen, I think they let up a bit in DS9, and I, I don't know or care about the other ones, but uh, <laughs> we'll get there eventually. But yeah, really, that that was just one of those things where they decided that their little space opera was the same as Shakespeare. Like, is it really? No, I certainly tried to have some Shakespearean scenes in this one. They did, and uh, Kodos's death was so just. Yeah, was is not this end. a dagger? <laughs> What light from yonder window breaks? <laughs> it did tend to go on and on and on. What, what's strange is this episode was about a genocidal murderer. Mm -hmm. We didn't even see the guy until 20 minutes in, I think. No. Like, we saw him briefly just to, to show who he was. And then we went off and did a bunch of other stuff. And I thought that was kind of a bold choice to uh, to refer to all the awful things that he did and not show the guy to, to defend himself for almost half the episode that was well i mean first it's a good way to sort of build him up as a character right and you've seen what he looks like so at least you have a, a basis but and second it keeps the mystery of whether or not it actually is him or not right you so, know i mean that that wasn't bad um, no it, it's weird uh kirk kirk obviously just breaking rules left and right to get things done like we said ends justify the means but yep. uh like you said doing what he does best stranding people on a planet Yep. Only in this case, that was the setup for, well, I'll rescue you guys. <laughs> Hitting on his daughter the whole time. Hey, it sure is a good thing that I rescued your actor's troop, huh? So listen, what are you doing later? Yeah. You want to walk through the observation deck? Which was nice. We'd never seen the observation deck before, and I I don't know if we'll see it again, but it's a nice little set. Mm -hmm. Um, What's weird is they're, they're on the bridge and they're talking, and she's like, well, I appreciate you doing us this favor, Captain. In exchange, we can put on a play for you. Like, no, really. In exchange, you should pay us. That's not doing your stupid little play. Is not. Uh, that's not yeah. in exchange. I mean, he's not Picard. He's not going to force his crew to watch high culture if they don't want to. No. Everyone on the Enterprise D was all the time watching violin recitals and Shakespeare plays, and like 
the the well, original NCC 1701 does not seem like that crew does not seem into that stuff. Well, I mean, when your ship is run by a Shakespearean actor and a trombone enthusiast, <laughs> you're uh, you're pretty much going to be going to a lot of oh, little plays. Oh, no, hang on now. The um, the original Enterprise is run by a Shakespearean actor. Shatner did Shakespeare. And you're going to tell me that Spock was a trombone enthusiast? No, he's a Bilbo Baggins enthusiast. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Oh, my joke there. <laughs> Killed him a bar when he was only three. <laughs> but speaking of what people are into in their off time, <laughs> we got another padded out Uhura song for no reason at all. Oh, yeah, she serenades Riley. Yeah, he's, uh, they, they transfer Riley down to the lower decks, and he's like, what could I possibly have done to deserve this? Do you not remember locking everyone <laughs> out of engineering and singing? I don't get it. I thought the captain liked me. <laughs> Uh, you're not really clear on how hard we had to work to keep the captain from flushing out you out the airlock, right? <laughs> uh, he's like, what? But everyone loves me. I'm the lovable rascal Riley. Yeah, no. I mean, I enjoy Riley, but really. I do too. I was actually really pleased to see him again. Yeah, I and, and it's, it's surprising watching this early season. I mean, at this point, you and I, like we've said before, we've read a lot of the episode guides. We've seen a handful of episodes. We know the movies pretty well. Mm -hmm. But most of our impressions are sort of the stuff that that was written in the 80s and 90s. And going back to these 60s shows, I, we're really surprised, at least I am, and I'm pretty sure you are too, mm -hmm. by who's important. Like, the like I never heard of Riley before. And he's, at this point, I would guess, oh, well, he must be in all the movies because he's just as important as Sulu. Oh, yeah. But no, at some point, he's just going to disappear and never be mentioned again. I was actually shocked that uh, Riley didn't, you know, sort of become Chekhov. Oh, that would have been so much better. Yeah, having, but, uh, having you both know. guys sitting up there, and we like them both. They're both yep. kind of charming and interesting instead of Chekhov. But, uh, you know, Gene Roddenberry wanted to win a bet or something. I don't know what the hell. No, I, it was uh, it was like someone said, uh, someone from the Russian government or something was talking to, to him. And this is all not my, uh, I don't, you know, I'm not I, super I, sure on this one. But uh, someone was talking saying, yeah, you know, you got everyone else on the ship. You know, I noticed you don't have any Russian crew members. And Gene Roddenberry, of course, went, oh, yeah? Well, the, the whole thing was, you know, I, I think I think you're not wrong there. I think the, the gist of it was, you know, we got to space first. There was the whole mm. Sputnik thing. That was it, yeah. And he's like, oh, all right. I'll <laughs> show you, make him look Russia. like one of the monkeys for no apparent reason. <laughs> and he's going to be the most useless guy on the crew. All right, let's not talk about Chekhov yet until he actually shows up. Let's <laughs> let's savor the time we have without him. Uh. <laughs> there's, there's a bit in this episode where, as you said, um, the, the, there's a phaser about to blow up. I thought mm -hmm. it was Kirk's quarters. It might have been his office. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but it's about to blow up. He and Bones are running around the room like, where is it? Where is it? It's about to blow up. You can hear it. Get out of your quarters, stupid. Well, like, I mean. It's going to blow up. Well, I mean, it, apparently it can also take out that entire deck. Well, you, whatever. So. You know, I'm, I'm not going to, like, I'm not one of those, one of those particular kinds of nerds who knows how a phaser works. But, you know, if, if they have a, a huge power source in them, if they're made to shoot lasers for a long time, I, I, mm. I could see them being more powerful than you think. Mm. But uh, really, he knows death is impending and he refuses to leave. Like That's not self-sacrificing. That's just stupid. No, Kirk, Kirk just really doesn't want to replace his stuff. I guess. Also, while that's happening, uh, he puts the ship on double red alert. <laughs> now, I don't know that we'll hear this again. Um. 
But really, double red alert is that is that really only called for when the captain's room is about to blow up? Like, <laughs> I, I like to picture the guy who runs the red alert just sort of standing there. What? Double? Um, red alert? Do I have to get two light bulbs? <laughs> just sort of scratching his head, turning it on and off really fast. <laughs> but you know, we're surrounded by Romulan warbirds and about to die. That's double red alert. Not there's a bomb in my room. That's just no. regular red <laughs> alert. Someone wants to blow up the captain's Buddhist statue. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the uh, the 23rd century version of the Risa Horgon statue. The, <laughs> I'm looking for Snoo Snoo or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> Shamaharon, that's it. Relax, nerds. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, then we get the reveal at the end. Kirk, Kirk, particular horn dog in this one, as you mentioned. Oh, my God. However. He, he wanted to fuck that chick so badly. However, I will say. Um, because we have been sort of pointing out the, the times when women are treated better than other times on this show. Um, she held her own. Mm -hmm. She was, she felt the same way and they were like, it wasn't like he was putting the moves on her and she was resisting. It was, she wanted to bone him just as bad as he wanted to bone her. And so when you put it on that level, it's, it's, it's kind of fun to watch because it's banter and it's flirting and it's not creepy. Yeah, like it's the, too bad she. It's too bad she turned out to be nineteen sixties Batman Riddler crazy. <laughs> oh yeah, and, and as you said, you know, by the end, you, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> there's a there's a bit where she's about to shoot Kirk uh, with with a phaser, like when the when the play's about to end, and she shoots her father instead. Mm. And it's exactly like the end of um of what's opera doc. <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? I've killed the wabbit. <laughs> 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 that's exactly what it felt like. It's like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to go. Oh God, I killed you. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? Elmer or little bunny. Yeah. <laughs> so that was overall, not, not the best episode. There were some fun moments. Yeah. I, I do enjoy when Kirk's on some crazy crusade and bones and Spock have to hang back and like, you know, they're, they're his best friends. They're the only ones that really get him. Mm. What the fuck is he up to? I don't know. Let's, let's... Oh God, what now? And you know, you know these guys. Like, yeah, they're friends, but they don't, they don't actually like each other. And they're <laughs> well, well, another harassment suit for Jim. It looks like well, again. I suppose we better attempt to extricate extricate the captain from this. I'll get the paperwork drawn up. I'll get the rubber gloves. <laughs> <laughs> Bones and Spock, they're cops. <laughs> watch the hell out of that show. Oh, there was, there's one line that I really thought. Needed more explanation. I don't think we ever came back to it again. Where Spock's doing his typical, oh, you you humans and your violence, blah, blah, blah. We're pacifists. And mm. then, can't remember if it was Kirk or Bones, said, well, that's why you guys got conquered. But what? Really? By by who? When, nope. when did that happen? Ah, uh, yes. The conquering of Vulcan, which everyone forgot about. <laughs> yeah. Then we get to Enterprise, and nope, in fact, they were actually jerks. Yep. All right, let's focus on what we got. And not, not it's not time for you to go into space yet. Shut up. Uh, no one cares what you think. <laughs> Any, anything else about this one? Um, I think that's it. It was, it was a little light. like not. Oh, the soundtrack was made up entirely of the theme song done in different ways. Oh, yeah. That happened to, like you pointed it out the first time. I was like, huh, you're right. That's like a slowed down version. Then they did like the lounge music version. And then yep. they did like the house mix. And like, mm-hmm. what is this, like a single? Apparently, yeah, I don't get it. That's a that's a dated reference. I apologize. Uh. All right. <laughs> so yeah, not uh, not the not the strongest episode, but uh, still at least no. something we hadn't seen before. All right, you ready? Uh, yep. Ready for the, all right. In the future, in the, future. Uh, the menagerie part two. In the future, uh, the death penalty has been eliminated, except to punish one single crime, and even then, it's only sort of half heartedly enforced. <laughs> 
Uh, Conscience of the King, Matt? Ah, uh, yes. In the future. In the future. Eye patches are much larger than necessary. Oh, my God. Seriously, this dude had an eye patch that took up his the entire left side of his face. He looked like half of Black Suit Spider-Man. <laughs> like, if he turned profile one way, it's like, oh, that's a cool black mask there. Cut an eye hole and you look like Spider-Man. But, uh, yeah, what, what the hell? Like, really? I lost my eye. <laughs> I got to replace it with a giant piece of cloth. <laughs> no, this was Professor Layton, and then he asked you to stack matchsticks so you don't kill his dog. <laughs> All right. Uh, my, my quote of the week uh, for, for the Menagerie, a uh, bit of a cop-out, but there really was very little original uh, dialogue in this. So uh, last week, Matt went with uh, Beep Beep, which, you know, of course, the uh, Pike saying no. Uh, in light of Pike's happy ending, though, I'm pleased to report that this week's quote is a simple for yes. Uh, good, good I feel good you. about how that guy's life's going to go. Yeah, everything's coming out just fine. Uh, <laughs> did you have a quote for Conscience of the King? I had to go with Caridian slash Kodos' exceptional acting, as shown here. Longer treasure of life, not even my own. I am tired! In the past... A blank. <laughs> now, when you when you give me the uh, you you give me like a, a clip and a time code to, to choose, I'm like, you just wanted to keep this to 20 seconds, huh? Because I mean, I could I could include this whole 10 minute speech if you yep. really wanted me to. <laughs> you know, good for you for keeping that uh, brief. But as he explores the many the, his many vocal ranges, <laughs> do the pain, no, William. So that's it. Unfortunately, <laughs> bit a bit of a light week for us, but fortunately, coming up uh, next week we have some two particularly strong episodes, and uh, mm. beyond that, we're bringing on some some extra guests, and uh, things are things are looking up for us. So. For the old post atomic horror. <laughs> uh, one other thing I wanted to give uh, absolute credit for here is uh, our our friend Fischel. Uh Fischel has a last name that I will mangle if I attempt to say it, mm. uh, so I will not. Um, Made us an amazing logo, which uh, as of this episode adorns uh, our cover art and will going forward. Um, I'm, I'm a little concerned about uh, uh, Paramount being really uh, litigious. I don't know if they still are, but they used to be. And I'm, I'm really cautious about making things too overtly Star Trek. He managed to give us something that really evoked the feel of what we were going for. Plus, there's a nice little hidden visual thing in there if, uh, if you know what you're looking at, which is yeah. awesome. See if you can find it. it. It's just, it's really great. And, and it feels like we need to live up to the quality of that logo because, uh, yeah. that's, uh, that's some, that's some classy work there, Vichel. So mm. thank you for that. And, uh, we don't typically have show notes on, on this show. That's a thing we do on our other show, but, um, but I will put a link, um, on, on the web for Vichel, uh, in case you have any like, um, graphic design needs because, uh, he, he does great work. Yes. As you can see. Absolutely. All right, Matt, that's uh, that's all for me. Anything else? Yeah, I think that's it. All right, we will see you next week. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is published weekly and is available via iTunes or on the web at postatomichorror.com. This program is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, and all original material contained herein is their intellectual property unless otherwise noted. All clips and references from Star Trek and related media are used without permission from CBS, Viacom, and or Paramount Pictures. Fair use is assumed for the purposes of review and parody, and the aforementioned co-producers do not receive any form of profit for this effort.
Listener feedback can be sent to podcast at postatomichorror.com. An on-air response is guaranteed. 